Good morning, everyone. We're starting at the, the very beginning of Acts, when Jesus is taken up into heaven. Starting at verse 1, and we're finishing at verse 11. can be found on page 1092, if you're following in the Church Bibles. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the, the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gary and uh, good morning everyone. Uh, let me add my own welcome to the one Neil has already given. My name's Adam. I'm the vicar here at St Jude's. It's uh, lovely to see people in the building. It's lovely to be starting to open things up and to be starting to do things again. Uh, there was a, a ripple of excitement and applause in the room as we announced that we were able to do Bears Camp this year. Um, I'm sad that we're not I'm not able to go this year. Unfortunately, we were already away that weekend. Uh, but and of course, I've never been before. But I understand it's a, a dads and kids camping weekend. Uh, I was confused then that the ripple of excitement and joy was coming from the mums in the room uh, rather than the dads. I, I'm not quite sure uh, what that was about. I'm sure in future years uh, I'll work that out. Uh, let's just take a moment uh, to pause uh, before we look at this word together. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And as we come before it this morning, we pray once again that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, that you would speak afresh through your spirit, and that we would see and hear your voice afresh today. Come by your Holy Spirit, we pray, afresh and help us to know and hear your voice. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as uh, Neil has already said, today we're going to be starting our new series looking at the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts for quite a few months up until the autumn uh, term. Uh, and uh, the reason for that is a couple of reasons for that. Uh, in, unless you've been in a cave for the last six months, which you may have been, of course, but unless you have, um, you will know that we're in a period of discerning the vision for St. Jude's uh, in the future, what God is calling St. Jude's to look like and do in the future. Uh, and the book of Acts is the story of the early church. And so our hope is that as we uh, discern with God what he's calling this church to do, uh, we might be able to learn some of the lessons from the early church and from what they did uh, in those early days. Uh, I've often heard the book of Acts called a manual for the church. Uh, you might have heard that as well. Manuals, whether it's for a dishwasher or for a car or whatever it's for, uh, they all answer the how-to questions. And the book of Acts similarly goes through many of these how-to questions. How do we pray? How do we understand healing? How do we deal with conflict? How do we live uh, with one another? And so we'll be looking at some of those how-to questions as we go through this book uh, over the next uh, few months. Our passage today uh, covers the 40 days that there are between Easter and Ascension. Uh, Ascension Day for us this year is this coming Thursday, as Neil said uh, a few moments ago. Uh, and Luke, almost certainly the author of the book of Acts, includes this dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, although he says that Jesus has come a number of times during those 40 days and shown him many convincing proofs. But it's this dialogue that the author of Acts uh, chooses to include. So it's important, clearly. And in this, uh, these first 11 verses, Jesus gives uh, a clear mission to his disciples, uh, and he gives them three things to focus on, which is really helpful of him when trying to put together a three-point uh, sermon. So thank you, Jesus, uh, for that. There were three things that Jesus says in this passage. He says, wait, be filled, and go. He says, wait. Verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. Wait. He says, be filled. Verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then go. Verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Wait, be filled, and go. So we're going to think about those three things this morning. Wait then. Just put yourself in the mind or in the place of those disciples. Uh, they have just seen that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They gave, Jesus has given them many convincing proofs of this. They have, for a long time, believed who Jesus was, but now they know. They know, they know, they know. There is no doubt because they have seen the convincing proofs about it. Imagine that you are them and you are with Jesus in that moment. How would you be feeling? Hopefully, you'd be pretty excited about what is going to be happening next, what you're going to be doing next. I'm an activist. I'd have probably come up with about a thousand plans uh, for the things that I wanted to do and see happen. I'm just wanting to be get on with it. But yet Jesus says, wait, wait. Do not leave this place. Wait. 
A number of times in Scripture, followers, uh, Jesus' followers are called to wait. Uh, Jesus, God's people are called to wait. We thought about one of them uh, just after Christmas uh, when I spoke about Simeon and Anna. Remember, Simeon waited for Jesus uh, all of his life. I wonder if you can think of times in your life when you've needed to wait for something. Maybe you're in a season of waiting uh, right now. You know something that you're waiting for. I'm honest, I think most of my life has been interspersed with intense periods of very frustrating waiting. I can call, uh, call to mind several, even in the last uh, few years. It's probably because I'm so bad at it uh, that the Lord is still trying to teach me in it. You'll know that my calling here, we felt first sense a calling to this place a long time before we were first shortlisted, uh, then interviewed, and then appointed, and then even moving here. Just one of the very many examples that I have. I'm sure you have others. And we see lots of reasons in Scripture, lots of reasons in our lives why God sometimes calls us into these periods of waiting. Firstly, it may well be about God's timing, that God's timing needs to be perfect in a situation. It may be about growing something within us. I remember when we were pregnant with Jacob and also with, with Ellie, we were both really excited about meeting them, about getting to know these two children, about becoming parents and, and doing all of the things that we were excited about doing as parents. And yet, of course, if, you, uh, if you've gone through that, you know that actually what needs to happen is a great deal of growth for that baby before it comes into the world. And in fact, if a baby comes into the world sooner, it's not usually very good, and they usually need extra help, that they need to do continual growing. So sometimes the Lord, I think, calls us to wait similarly because he's got more growing, more things that he longs for us to do. Sometimes I think we're called to wait because we're waiting for the wrong thing. We're looking for the wrong thing. Ultimately, waiting grows our trust in God, knowing that, he, uh, that we trust him for what he has purposed for us. And we need to be patient in those times. The Psalms is another place that we can see people who are waiting constantly. Uh, David says in the Psalms that he waits patiently for the Lord. He trusts the Lord, and he reflects on the many wonders that he has done. Perhaps a lesson there for all of us, any of us who are going through this period of waiting at the moment. So, Jesus says to them to wait. He also says to be filled. Now, of course, we know he's talking about Pentecost here, and we're going to be thinking about that in a couple of weeks' time on Pentecost. We'll have that reading then and thinking about what that looks like. But this isn't a once-for-all experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We already have Jesus living inside us. If we've bowed the knee to Jesus, we know that we already are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? We have Christ living in us. But just like the early church, Pentecost wasn't the only experience of them being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4.31, we see them praying again to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And that is a command for all of us as well. I'm sure it's never happened here at St. Jude's, but I wonder if any of you have ever been uh, to a meeting where there's been something really important to discuss, really important to decide. Uh, and at the beginning of the meeting, 
in a Christian context, at the beginning of the meeting, the person leading us said, uh, God, we're here. If you could show up, that'd be great. Thanks. Um, or worse still, at the end of the meeting, they go, oh, yeah, uh, God, we've decided all this stuff. Could you um, make it happen, please? Thanks. I'm caricaturing. Of course I'm caricaturing. But how often do we rush into meetings? How often do we rush into our day? How often do we rush into reading Scripture and not wait for God to fill us? What are we expecting when we do that? Do we want God to fill us? I said uh, a few moments ago that Ascension Day this coming Thursday, what is uh, your perception of Ascension Day? How, how important is it in your walk with God? How important is it in your Christian calendar? Maybe it's easier to see Jesus in a stable or, or healing on the streets or maybe even on the cross than it is to see him floating up to heaven on some sort of ethereal cloud. Maybe it's been overlooked by us over the years. Although kudos uh, to the, um, the Chapel of the Ascension in Walsingham. I think we have a picture. Uh, on the ceiling of the chapel, they've actually produced... Um, the papier-mâché feet of Jesus poking out the top. There you go. You can see it uh, in the Chapel of the Ascension there. So they've clearly understood something. I don't know what, but there we go. What is our expression? What is our understanding of Ascension Day? What is it? What does it mean to us? And what do we think happened when Jesus ascended, as it talks about in this passage? Paul briefly speaks about the ascension in uh, my most favorite passage of Scripture uh, from the beginning of Ephesians. Remember, he says, It was the mighty power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, Easter, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. He seated him in the heavenly realms. That's what's happening at ascension. But Paul is saying it's a mighty power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in that place. It's an act of mighty power. But there's more because Paul says that that same power is available to you and available to me. How powerful do we feel this morning, friends? What does that mean for us to know and experience that power? Should we be expecting it or should we just go along knowing that God lives in us? One of the best illustrations of this we find in the Old Testament, a story I'm sure uh, you'll know well, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 5, the building of Solomon's temple. Uh, and uh, verse 7 says, The priests brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple. Now, the Ark of the Lord's Covenant was the place in which the Israelites believed God resided. So verse 7 is saying that in that moment, they brought God into Solomon's temple. He was brought in. He was there. He was present amongst them. And yet, verse 13, you'll know, the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the temple of God. God's presence was already there, and yet it came in a greater sense, so much so that they were unable to complete their service, to perform their duties. How filled with God's power are we feeling this morning? Or are we rushing into our lives expecting God to catch up with us? How much time and space do we give him to speak to us? 
You know, for, for years when I used to prepare sermons, uh, it would usually happen that about 11 p.m. on a Thursday night, when I was just drifting off to sleep, I'd suddenly hear from God what it was that he wanted me to say. And so then I'd have to get out of bed, put my dressing gown on, write it all down, and I'd get to bed about 2 a.m. It was an awful pattern for my sleep. It wasn't great at all. And eventually I said, Lord, why do you only give me this stuff at 11 p.m. at night on a Thursday? Why does it not happen on a Tuesday at 10.30 when I've got time for it? And I think the Lord, in the nice, gentle, corrective way that he sometimes does, said, it's the only time of day when you stop and let me get a word in edgeways. <laughs> How many of us need to stop and let the Lord get a word in edgeways to be filled as Jesus commands his disciples here? The last bit is to go. The disciples do this. We see as we go through Acts, we'll look at this over the next few weeks. Remember Peter's sermon. 3,000 people came uh, to Jesus as a result of that sermon. At the end of chapter 2, it says, The Lord added to their day number daily those who were coming to Christ. Chapter 3, we see individuals transformed. Chapter 5, it's grown to 5,000 people. The Lord calls the disciples to go. And as a consequence of them going, they see people coming to faith. They see the fruit. They are fruitful. Our bishop, Bishop Christopher, retired uh, a couple of weeks ago now, I think. And just before he left, he said that every single bishop that there has ever been of Portsmouth Diocese has left for their successor a smaller diocese in terms of number of worshippers and number of clergy. Portsmouth Diocese is a relatively small diocese. It's a relatively new diocese. But every single bishop there has ever been has left for their successor less Christians and less clergy to minister to them. In 2019, there were 800,000 people living in the Diocese of Portsmouth. Just 14,000 of them were worshipping in our Anglican churches. There are 8,000, just under 8,000 people living in our tiny uh, parish, which is this side of Pembroke Park, uh, Victoria Road South on that side, and Elm Grove at the top. 8,000 people living in that. How many are we as a community? Maybe 200 people? Whatever it is. And I know there are other churches doing amazing and wonderful things for the kingdom of God outside of the Anglican system. But even if we double that number, even if we ten times that number, it is still a tiny proportion of the number of people that live in our area. It is still a single figure percentage, uh, mostly. This is only going to change if we are prepared to do something about it. William Temple, who was once Archbishop of Canterbury, famously said, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. The church is the only organization that exists for the benefits of its non-members. I agree with that in principle. But I wonder how often we find ourselves trapped into thinking what's best for us, what's best for our community, rather than what's best for the hundreds of thousands of people who don't yet know Christ, to think outside of ourselves. If you were with me for my licensing, you'll know that this is one of my uh, favorite stories. But there was a young boy who won a, f a prize to go uh, around a, a sweet factory at the end of the working week. And this young boy loved toffee, absolutely adored toffee. And as he was walking around, they came to this huge vat of toffee uh, in the middle of the floor. And he was taken by it so much, he really wanted to, to, to try some of it. And they moved him on, and they were going to another part of the factory. And he snuck away from the rest of the group and went back to this vat of toffee. Uh, and as he was peering in, he fell into the toffee. 
And he called out for help and nobody came. And then suddenly the lights went off and clearly it was a Friday, so that was the last anyone was going to be in the building until the Monday morning. So he's stuck in this vat of toffee, lights off, no one there to help him. And so he simply prays, Lord, give me an appetite for the opportunity that is before me. Lord, give me an appetite for the opportunity before me. Maybe, friends, that needs to be our prayer today. Maybe we need the Lord to give us an appetite for the opportunity that is for us. Where are we as a church as we go through this vision-setting process in these uh, wait, uh, be filled, go? Where are we as a church corporately? And it's always difficult because, of course, different sections of the church will be doing different things at different times. But I think on the whole corporately, the Lord is calling us into this waiting and being filled stage to prepare us for the next stage. But, and I want to be really clear about this, I don't think it's going to be long before the Lord calls us to go. So we need to take note of the time that he's giving us to wait and to be filled, to listen to him, to learn from him, and to be prepared when he calls us to go. What about you individually? Where are you? Are you in the season at the moment of waiting? Do you know that you're waiting for something and feeling increasingly frustrated by the fact that it's not coming? Do you know that you need to be filled. You need a refreshment of God's Holy Spirit at work in your life. Well, do you know the truth of that prayer? That you need an appetite for the opportunity before you so that the Lord can send you to go. I'm going to pray for us. I wonder if you would stand with me if you're able as I do that uh, before we sing our next song. Before I pray, uh, on your way in, or if not on your way out, you were given one of these uh, cards. These are Christian birthright cards. Um, and uh, you'll see me handing these out a number of times over the next however many years I am with you. Uh, each of these are statements which are true about each and every single one of us. They're all from Scripture. You'll find the Scripture reference after each of them. I encourage you to take these home with you this week, particularly if, uh, if you're struggling about being filled if you know uh, you're feeling less connected with God and you need to be filled with him afresh. And I, what you need, I encourage you to do is to read down these verses, these promises of God, and stop on the first one that feels difficult for you to say with confidence about yourself. Pray, reflect over it, read the scripture connected with it, and then try to ask the Lord, Lord, will you show me this? Some of you won't get beyond number one. I know I didn't the first time I did it. Some of you may get a bit further down. However far you get, stop on the first one that is difficult for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that is before us. We thank you for the opportunities that there are to wait, to trust you more, to know your timing and your perfect plan for our lives. We thank you for the opportunities that there are to see your growth at work in us through those times. Lord, would you help us to be like David, to trust the Lord, to wait patiently for the Lord, and to reflect on the many wonders that you have done. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be filled both to be filled for the first time and to go on being filled. 
may be that as you listen, you know that you haven't yet given your life to Christ. And it might be that in this moment, however moment of quiet, that you wish to do that today. And to call the Lord into your heart and to know his presence at work in you. It may be in this silence you wish to ask the Lord to fill you afresh. That you might know the truth of the fact that God is already there as he was in that temple. But he comes in a greater sense. Let's just hold a moment of quiet as you pray to the Lord whatever is on your particular heart. For the service, we were praying, and there were a couple of pictures I wish to share now. Firstly, it was a picture of a dirty vessel, considered perhaps too dirty a vessel to you be any use. But God says, I have come, and I have 